Welcome to the Words Matter Library. This is Adam sitting in for Elise and Steve. So today we're in Washington and yes. our guest is award-winning journalist. Yes. Can best, you believe that? Best-selling author. You knew me when. I knew you when. <laughs> Veteran White House correspondent and my friend. Yes. April Ryan. Before we start, we have to plug your latest book. Yes, which is Under Fire. Reporting from the front lines of the Trump White House. Yes. It's available on Audible. It's a great listen. Welcome to Words Matter. Oh, I'm so pleased to be here with you. And as you noted, in the interest of full disclosure, during my tenure yes. as Assistant White House Secre- Press Secretary uh, for George W. Bush. And I used to harangue you all the time. You did. And we'll get, it, we'll get into that. But you did it in a way. And again, I, I, want, to, I want to tell people about your style as we get into this because- What's my style? Your style was what I called- Patient yet relentless. Oh, I like that. Because you know, you know, being in the White House press office, uh-huh. there's a lot of waiting around. Oh, we yeah. wait around. Hurry up you. and wait. Hurry up and wait. Mm-hmm. So you're outside someone's door. I'm in some meeting. Never got frustrated. I wasn't like, nasty. So first of all, congratulations on our. Thank you for the for the um, congratulations. Well, the congratulations are this month, beginning of your 22nd. You're 22 years now. 22 years. And we did a little word, a little uh, number count before we did Uh-oh. a. We did some some counting before the Don't show. Don't do that. That's going to make me feel old. No, no. It's four presidents. <laughs> yes. 12 press secretaries. Mm, really? 18 communications directors. Dang. 13 chiefs of staff. Ooh, I survived them all. And I want to go back to I'm that. I'm a survivor. <laughs> I'm not going to give up. Yes. You didn't know I could say this, this is why working with April Ryan was so much fun. And those people in the White House should be thrilled that they get to do this every day because mm. I miss it. But let's go back to that first day. Bill Clinton's president. Mm-hmm. Mike McCurry's the press secretary. Mm-hmm. I love Mike. Uh, Leon Panetta's chief of staff. Mm-hmm. Newt Gingrich down at the other end of Pennsylvania. Yes, with the contract with America and Con- all that stuff. All that yeah. stuff. And I want to know what it was like for a young, not yet 30 years old. Not yet. Not yet. You were not 30 when you started to walk through those gates for the first time and take that seat in that press room next to Wolf and Sam Donaldson and Helen Thomas. Right, right, right. What was that like? So let me go back when I finally realized I had the assignment. um, I was walking with a friend. um, Well, I got the assignment and we went to some event at the Willard Hotel and I walked through the park and I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to work here. I was so intimidated. And I remember talking to the Secret Service guy that was standing there. He probably maybe long gone by now, 22 years. And I said, I'm going to be working. He said, great, I'll see you when you get here. And then that first day came. And I'll never forget it was cold. It was it was in January. Right. This time of year. It was bitterly cold. I mean, I remember I remember. The, the the brown leaves, you know, rustling and Lafayette Park scraping against the, the the red brick and looking at that stark white building with the black uh, wrought iron gates. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, and um, I'll never forget the historic moment. You know, the president was um, commemorating or, or remembering uh, the black soldiers Right. Uh, from World War II, who did not get medals for right. their bravery. And I said, what a fitting day. Every day I walk through those gates. I don't I don't get the euphoria like I did the first time. Right. But. But. Every day I walk through those gates or come close, I'm like, wow. For a kid from Baltimore, 
And I'm just going to say it, a black girl from Baltimore who has touched every area of Baltimore, especially the areas where Freddie Gray was picked up. I still go to the hairdresser. There are churches that I frequent near where he was picked up. The, the street corner, Penn and North, where, that was, where the police standoff was, is where my mother used to take me to the health clinic when I was a kid. Wow. Yeah. You know, being black in Baltimore, Nancy Pelosi's Baltimore. Right. We touched Nancy D'Alessandro. Yes, her her father and brother were mayors of Baltimore, the D'Alessandros. So little Italy. But when you're in Baltimore, you touch almost every area of Baltimore, you know, from high income, low income to mid income. We were a middle income family. But in Baltimore at that time in the sixties, you know, you 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 were in the black community. Right. All parts of the black community. And you were striving to get on the other side of the beltway. But, you know, there was redlining. But, you know, and that that's a piece of my survival, how to patiently wait and, and understand that it's just a season. And understanding that going to this place was like, oh, my gosh, I never imagined being where I am today. I never imagined meeting you. I never imagined that I would be in this space of history and being a part of history, writing history, having people listen to history. It's still, even when I'm talking about it, it still kind of gets you, kind of chokes you up. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. And it's also a little weighty. You feel, you little feel, weighty. you feel it. You feel it. I mean, I'm sure you still Life feel it. Life and death are written and spoken in that, in building. that, in that building Absolutely. by the leader of the free world who we have worked with. Yeah. And so you started there, like we said, in January of 1997. Mm-hmm. The Ken Starr Whitewater investigation Ooh, was, I remember that was entering its fourth year for all those people who say that the, the Mueller thing's gone on too long. But the Monica stuff happened when I was there. When you were there. And so that was the first thing you saw really that that first year. And it's amazing. I went back just for fun to that <laughs> first White House correspondence dinner because that was the that was pre mm-hmm. – I don't like to call it Monica Gate because it was Clinton Gate. It's kind of mm-hmm. not fair to her, but – Pre all that coming out, mm-hmm. and John Stewart, a very young John Stewart, was oh. there, and he didn't even his jokes. He did seventeen minutes. He made fun of Ted Kennedy and Robert Byrd, a little bit of Al Gore. He didn't even make fun of. Bill but Clinton. it's hard to sit in front of a president and roast him. I'll never forget Cedric the Entertainer when right. George W. Bush was there. Right. He was bombing because he was, like, Ooh. he was sweating profusely. That's a tough room. And to be able to roast the president in his face. Well, and I remember that one because I was honored to be your guest yeah. for that one. And so, you know, you watch that investigation and you watch an impeachment. You've seen, you know, a lot of, a lot of people. I've seen there. impeachment. I've seen. and I was a young reporter, but I've seen it. I'll never forget we have to remember that when reporters are covering something, we understand, for the most part, the magnitude of it. And the it was the Ken Starr report. The it was uh, the map room and Bill Clinton being deposed. I, I remember after, you know, he was deposed and he announced, you know, that he lied. And I'll never forget the rallies at the White House in the Rose Garden. Oh, yeah. I'll never forget that those. That pep rally they yeah. had. Yeah. Right. I was there. I'll never forget those. But one thing I, I will never forget, uh, when Ken Starr came, and, and when you were there, things had changed. With each president, there's a bit of change. Sure. And there's a bit of change in how uh, the the process happens. But at that time, it was pre-9-11. Everything, the campus was open. 
You could walk along East Executive Avenue between Treasury. Right. And, and right. East Exec, right. Yes. you could, and, and you could walk along with no problem. And now it's shut down after 9-11. But during that time, there were so many uh, people who were just gathered along just watching what was going on. And that day, the crowds were just massive. And I'll never forget. Ken Starr came, and I believe it was a dark car. I, I, I believe, if I remember, it was blue. If it's not blue, it was black or green. It was a dark car. Right. And he came in, and I'll never forget, I caught his eye. And he was sitting alone in that, in that, the back of the car. And I looked at him, and he was just alone. And the importance of him coming to the White House. And then it was, the silence was deafening in the White House that day because we were waiting to find out and I believe there was a clock on on, on the news ticking as to how long the president yep. was being deposed and it was just such a deafening silence there I remember Paul Begala yep. I ran into Paul Begala and at that time the ushers used to walk the president's clothes. He used to change a lot. They used to always walk his suits back and forth. And we'd between see the that residence between the right. residence and the White House in the West. Well, in the West Wing, the residence right, that, in the West right Wing. Right down the, the, the yes, colonnade. The quarter, yes, the colonnade. And we would see that. And I'll never forget this this back and forth with water and trays of water and, and, and the suits. And I talked to Paul. And there was another reporter with me. And I said, Paul, what should we expect? He said, the First Lady is you know she's there and she's a part of this and and just wait just wait he just kept trying to calm what was going Paul's to be revealed good yes he is he really is <laughs> he, really he is. was good back then <laughs> and know, he, he's, uh, he's still good at that and i wanted to know and i'll never forget watching that night because i was sitting that day and i was watching my eyes met ken star for that moment and um, as he was driving in and I mean, that was a moment that is etched in my mind. Just I remember the feeling. I remember the silence. I remember how people were trying to keep the words. They were very strategic in their words. Um, I remember Mike McCurry. And even even back then, words did matter. Words always matter. <laughs> <laughs> the words really matter, especially now. Um, I remember those those briefings and how McCurry would. He didn't want to know a lot of things. Well, I, I, I actually used to use Mike in media training, and Mike was a Moynihan guy as I was, mm. and he had a great sense of humor. And like you said, he kept his distance from Clinton. But I remember he once began one of those briefings by saying, uh, you know, usually they read the news of the day, as you mm -hmm. know, better than anybody. Mm -hmm. They read, you know, the, the schedule. He just said, um, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the theater of the absurd. We do, <laughs> we do this five times a week. With that, I'll be happy to take your questions. And he was the first one to open up those briefings to his consternation. But I told him, I said, don't you ever be upset because people there, especially now in this moment, right. we need transparency because so much is done without knowledge of what's happening and how it happened. This is still the United States of America. And there's more of a, of a call for transparency. And I am really surprised and shocked that the American people are not screaming about a lack of briefings right now. This is not good. This is not good. Let's go back. You mentioned 9-11. We talked mm -hmm. about the transition with administrations. Bush folks came in. I didn't come at the start. I actually didn't start till January 1 of 02. But, you you know, that honeymoon period that's usually a year, year and a half, mm -hmm. that ended that day, September oh, 11. It ended and you were there. Yeah. You were in that press room. You were working. Talk about that. Well, let me say this. Let me say this. Um, I wasn't in the press room at the time. Okay. I was literally waiting for the president to come back from Florida. Right. 
Yes. Okay, so you were what you were. Yeah. So I was at home in Baltimore. So he was in Florida. And all of a sudden I was right. It was a trip. It was a trip. It was a trip. And and Andy Card was there. And some of our colleagues were on the plane with them. It felt like Armageddon that day. And if you remember the moment, and this is, I think, when a lot of things changed, technology, how we communicated, everyone communicated with each other. Because at that time, we everyone pretty much had flip phones or were transitioning from flip phones. Only to, Rove had the BlackBerry. Yes, to the BlackBerry. Exactly. <laughs> you remember. Yes. So and people couldn't, the phone lines were down. You right. couldn't communicate with anyone. The people who could communicate with their friends were texting. Right. Or on the BlackBerry. Right. And then the White House press corps quickly moved from beepers and those flip phones to the BlackBerry. By the time I got there in January 1 of 02, we were all issued BlackBerries. Yeah. And Rove's wasn't even a White House BlackBerry at the time. It was an RNC BlackBerry mm. because the White House did not even issue them until after 9-11. Mm. And so to Are you point, telling something? He, was he supposed to have an RNC BlackBerry at the time? Well, that became an issue at some point. <laughs> oh, Lord. Anyway, moving on. I, I, I don't want this podcast to be that podcast. It's all the revelations. All the revelations. Oh. But so, you know, and I have to say, you know, again, I And people don't know this. No, they don't know this. But, you know, I showed up. I worked at NBC News. I'm a Democrat from New York. I knew your cousin, Ed Towns, when he's a congressman. I love him. And he was a a, a great part of that delegation. But what was amazing was, even though the press and Republicans, Republicans perceive that they they get treated tougher than, than most, that was a pretty collegial group. You know what? um, Ari was tough sometimes, but he tried. I mean, you know, there were moments. I don't have a yeah, I don't have a problem with Ari. I mean, but when we had our disagreements, we agreed to disagree and we respected each other the next day. And I think that's why you and I are cool. I mean, it doesn't it's not about policy or politics for me. And that's the unfortunate right. thing now. That the press room and we're under attack for a reason. You have a press room that doesn't look like it used to. The time of Walter Cronkite. We didn't know his politics. All we knew was that's the way it was. Right. We didn't know his politics until after he left. Sure. But now you have very extreme liberal reporters. You have extreme right-wing reporters, conservative reporters. And then you have some that are down the middle. I pray that I'm down the middle. You are down. You've always been down the middle. And what's amazing was, you know, I was thinking about this in the context of, of the April Ryan under fire. Ari always called on you. He even did. If, Even if he didn't. Want to hear your question? My Republican so. Ari with his Democratic parents. With his yes. Democratic parents. Yes. Exactly. Yes. And, and he did. Yeah. And, and, we st- and to this day, we can laugh. We may disagree. And, and there were tense times. There I were remember, very t- tense times. I remember he did something that I asked in the briefing room or in the gaggle, and it made news. And I asked him about Bill Clinton trying to help with Israel and Palestine. I remember this. And he said, you know, and he was in, and at that time, he was not at the level where he could speak on another president. And it was a big news because he said something when you shoot for the moon and you miss or something. This. Yeah, you shoot remember the that? Moon. It was yeah, shoot, the moon. shoot the moon and you miss. And it was a big story. And I asked that. I never, I never, but that was his response. I just asked a blanket question and he made the response. He made the news and he got chastised for it. Oh, I remember. You You think it was bad up front. You should have seen it behind the scenes. Oh, my God. But, yeah, and he got in trouble for it. But he didn't, he never jumped me, did he? Nope. 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 And still friends this day. You just mentioned that about the reporters. Now, you're obviously not a politician, but you have what I call constituents or at least lis- <laughs> listeners. I have I have April Ar- April's army, apparently. But you have people that listen to you, 
that read you. And believe me. And believe you and hear you. And you have a – talk about a little bit about your responsibility to those people to get it right, to do the job you do. (laughs) Number one, as a reporter, as a journalist, I mean, I went to school and studied for this. And you have to research. That's what we do. Um, And people think when we sit there, we're just coming up out of our eyeball and just thinking of something. Sometimes if we do that, it's because we're playing on something that someone else asked, something that we already know about. We have studied to the nth degree, talked to sources on the Hill, talked to congressional leaders, talked to senators, talked to whoever, the people who are involved. We have done we've done our homework before we go and ask. And so as a journalist, I think it's imperative because the stakes are so high. And people listen out for us to tell them the truth and what's going on because the White House is still a mystery. And what we do is kind of take the veil off of it and inform. I believe it's it's my it's my duty to tell the truth and know as much and talk to as many people because there are people out here that are hurting. It's important for me to talk to Larry Kudlow and say, you know, yes, you say there is a hardship. Yes, you say that um, the GDP is affected. Yes, you say that you're sad about it, but... In the meantime, you keep talking about this wall and what you need. Does it balance out? There are people out here that are losing their homes, that their lives are in jeopardy. They can't pay their medical bills or pay for drugs. This is not a joke. Nope. It's real. And I come from that kind of people who need information. I am, if you didn't know, I'm a black woman (laughs) from Baltimore. But no, I mean, I understand the need for information. I come from a community that would read the papers about things that affected them when the mainstream news didn't tell us. You know, information is power. Information is important. We need to know how things affect us so we can live our lives for survival. Thank you for listening to Words Matter with Elise Jordan and Steve Schmidt. For more information on our show and hosts, visit wordsmattermedia.com. Please rate and review Words Matter on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers.